0: So, uh, if you didn't know yet, we are going through a study through the book of James together, and it's just been such a great thing for us. And so we've been having this thing, Faith in Work, uh, how to do great work with great faith. How many of you have been, if you've been in a small group, you've been encouraged by this, this theme, or even thinking about through this whole process of what it means to, to have great work? Just to, our life groups, just to give you a little glimpse of what we've been doing. The first week we talked about doing great work that doing great work is hard. The very beginning of James is consider it joy when you encounter trials. The second one, uh, great work lies beyond what we can do. Okay, it was a great week. The third week, we talked about how great work starts low and ends high. We don't start off doing the amazing things that we would want God to be doing through us. We start at the bottom, which is really difficult for us. Then we talked about how God... God does all the heavy lifting. It was a great week. And then the fifth one was about listening and obeying. The sixth one is what we're talking about tonight, People as Poems. And actually, this week, uh, starting tomorrow, we're going to talk about how great work follows through. And uh, I know in our... I handed my group on Tuesday mornings over to Keegan and Emily, and they have just been killing it. I'm so proud of them. And I'm blessed. I come and take notes. So it's been great. And so uh, tonight... What I want to do first off, and I want to, what I've been trying to do with, with all these things that we've been doing is, uh, is that I have I've wanted so badly to bring someone in here that's already doing great work with great faith and just let them talk to, talk to you about it. And then Riley and I are going to, we're going to tag team this message. Didn't you know that? Anyway, so, uh, but we're, uh, I'm going to invite Lynette Williams King. She's going to come forward. My wife used to work in social work before she started having babies. And uh, Lynette uh, and her did the same job in different areas for the same organization. And Lynette uh, had me come in and lead worship at one of her church, her church, the AME church on, what, 38th or something? Where was that? 46. 46th Street. And uh, I brought my guitar and my amp in there, and it wasn't loud enough. You guys wanted it louder. Um, so, uh, but I wanted her to share. Um, tonight we're seeing about seeing people as Poems. And she, in my opinion, is better than anyone at seeing someone not as a, just a shell of a, of a person, but seeing from them for who they are, because she did that for me, right? She, like, loved me like I'm her little brother that learned, and you know, her she has a twin sister, uh, Megan and Emily, and her name's Lenore, her name's Lynette. So you guys need to change your names to make it something cool like that. Oh, uh, by the way, John Sidwell, can you tell the difference between um, uh, Emily and Megan tonight? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that to you. All right, it's a running joke with John and I. He can never tell you guys apart. All right, I'm glad Joe can, though, so. All right. Just share a little from your heart, Lynette, and what what God has done in your life. First of all, what are the twins' names?
1: Emily and Megan. Emily and Megan. On the fourth Sunday in April, our church has Twin Sunday. (laughs) The, The twin, my pastor... Is my twin, so we celebrate Twin Sunday. So I certainly want to invite you all to come out and worship with us. But so I, I'm going to just share a little bit, do the best I can, and trust you all can stay with me. Um, I have to have cheat notes, okay? So, um, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this? If you learn all the right words but never do anything, does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come across an old friend dressed in rags and half starving, and you say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you walk off without offering them a piece of bread or a cup of soup, where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? And that is taken from the book of James, the second chapter, verses 14 through 17, and that's the message translation. So, good evening. I am really overjoyed for the invitation to be here with you all this evening. I really thank Andrew for the invitation and as he shared, um, I used to work with his wife and his wife is just an absolute delight as Andrew is. Andrew actually helped me through some rough times and as he ministered in music and he shared some music songs with me that helped me over a difficult time in my life. So. I'm really thankful for Andrew and even what he's doing here at IUPUI. And speaking of IUPUI, you would really believe that the steps of the Lord, our steps are ordered by the Lord. And that is so true because just a few years ago, okay, maybe more than a few years ago, I was a student here at IUPUI. Now, things have really changed, except for the parking. The parking is still a big mess. That hasn't changed. But I praise God that I was able to get a degree while I was here at IUPUI. Um, I graduated with a Bachelor of Liberal Arts with a major in English. So I do praise God for that. So, I'm just going to hold this. That's going to be bad. So I am a T.O., which is a theological offspring. It used to be called a P.K., a preacher's kid. But, you know, as times change, that has changed as well. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. My grandmother was a pastor. All of our extended, extended family members were pastors as well, So I can assure you I had a real good Christian foundation. Um, When we grew up, there was a parsonage right next door to the church. So we were at church quite often. Um, Monday night, meetings. Tuesday night, choir rehearsal. (laughs) Wednesday night, Bible study. Thursday and Friday, we got to be home. But Saturday morning, catechism class. Sunday morning, Sunday church school, worship service, and then Sunday evening, church. So let me assure you that my parents really trained me up in the way I should go. However, I did not love myself, and consequently, I did not love others. Well, I was just plain, downright mean. Um, When I was in school, I was mean and I was a bully. Now, this is when I was younger, not now. (laughs) And things got so bad that at one point, they really didn't know what to do with me. I did things like go to the cafeteria, and I would take a chocolate milk without paying for it. And guess how much chocolate milk cost then? Three cents. Three cents. And yet I would take that milk and not pay for it. So things got so bad that they finally sent me to a counselor, and her name was Mrs. Burdell. Now, Mrs. Burdell was physically blind, but even in her blindness, she saw something in me. She said, God has something in store for me. She told me that I needed to come out of darkness, that God had called me into his marvelous light. She had faith in me, and she did not give up on me. She kept meeting with me. She kept encouraging me. She kept telling me that I should have faith in God. So shortly after my meetings with her, my parents took me to a revival in Canada. And the preacher preached, and after that sermon, I told my parents, I'm not going to be bad anymore. Now, I have to tell you, it wasn't all smooth sailing, but I did really start trying to do what God would have me to do. Um, So, I decided that I should let my light shine in all aspects of my life, and that includes in employment. Now, even though my degree was a Bachelor of Liberal Arts in English, somehow I started working in the social work field. I think I just always had a knack for wanting to help others, Um, So, as you know, uh, social workers dedicate themselves to helping people cope with the stresses and problems of everyday life. Uh, Social workers perform a broad spectrum of duties, ranging from providing support to those faced with difficult situations, emotional stresses, or significant changes in their lives, to clinically diagnosing emotional behavior, or mental health disorders in individuals. Social workers do help others, but they help others with the help of God and by having faith in God. So for the last 10 years or so, I have been a licensing specialist, and I am responsible for building relationships in the community, uh, licensing, uh, recruiting, and training foster parents. And I just want to kind of take a sidebar right here. Foster parents are such a needed thing in today's society. I don't know if you've read all the stories, and certainly I know you've uh, probably heard about how drug usage, you know, is really just getting, well, it is out of control. So children have been removed from their home through no faults of their own. Um, Last year in the state of Indiana, there were like 10,000 children, just in Indiana, placed in out-of-home care. So, I mean, it's just really a much-needed thing, foster parents. Um, So we needed foster parents who would step up to the plate and help make a difference in the lives of these children. Uh, One thing that's required in this field, in the social work field, and for foster parents, is that we've got to have faith. Um, we have to have faith that, first of all, these children can somehow remain in their homes. And then we have to have faith that if they're not able to remain in their homes, they can go to a home where they're loved and cared for. And then we have faith that after they've received that love and that care, and um, after that foundation is laid for them, um, Perhaps they get introduced to Christ for the first time. We're praying that they can return home and then be able to live safely with their parents. So that's one thing, you've got to have faith in this field. So the social work field really requires a whole lot of faith. Um, I just want to share with you a little bit about an older couple that came to us. They wanted to become licensed foster parents, but they had been turned away from other agencies due to their age. But they really wanted to be licensed, so we stepped out on faith, and we licensed them. They were able to get a young boy who I'm going to call David placed with them when he was seven years old. Now, David came with a whole lot of baggage. Uh, David had some challenges. He was kicked out of different schools and just cut up and uh, didn't have good behavior in the home, But the family continued to pray for him. They continued to shower him with love. They even took David to church. Now, first, when David went to church, he would sit there with his arms folded and his face frowned up. But they saw that eventually, over time, he kind of let his arms down a little bit, and he sat up a little straighter, and he started paying attention. So they said, hmm, okay, David, good. (laughs) You know, didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Well, then something happened that was traumatic for David, but it ended up becoming his blessing, a blessing for him and the family, and that his parents just weren't able to get it together, so their parental rights were terminated. So he was not able to return home. So the parents where he was placed as foster parents, who did not think they would even be able to become foster parents, but stepped out on faith, they became adoptive parents, and they were able to adopt David. The first thing David said was, I want to be baptized. <laughs> they were able to get David baptized, and a few years ago, I checked in on them just to see how they were doing. And they told me David was doing great, that David was playing an instrument at school, that he was on the wrestling team, and that he was on an honor on the honor roll. So you tell me, tell me what faith can do. So we're just praising God for that, that they had the faith and that they introduced him to Christ and that they stuck in there with him. So I don't know at the beginning if you remember the little bit of that scripture verse I shared uh, when I said that, isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? Well, it's very important that we keep in mind whatever you decide to do, whether it's work as a social worker or in any other field, we must include Jesus in our faith. Um, it, It just has to be. We have to include that. Faith has to be included. So I developed a great faith in the Lord while I was working. By remembering the word of God. And there are tons of Bible verses that will help you stay on track should you see yourself straying a little bit. But one of the verses I use is Psalm 119.30, says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness, I have set my heart on your laws. Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So I learned to put feet to my faith in all aspects of my life, even including employment. So what's the secret to making and sustaining great work with great faith? For me, it was learning and believing these five words. Forsaking all, I trust him, which is faith. F, forsaken all, A, all, I, I, T, trust, and H, him. Faith helped me, and it continues to lead me now, forsaking all, I trust him. And I would encourage each one of you all to do the same. Um, I'd like to leave you with this prayer. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for impact Christian ministry and this worship service. Thank you for your loving kindness toward us. Thank you, Lord, for instilling in us to have faith in you. Now, Lord, please walk with everyone as they complete their college education. Please order their steps as they seek employment after the college days end. Send them to the right interview and open doors for them. Lord, help us to let our lights shine for you in everything we do. Continue to be the center of our joy. We ask that you help us put feet to our faith and enable us to go beyond God's talk to God's act. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
0: Man, that's so good. I'm going to listen back to that like 20 times. Okay, so tonight we're going to be going through James chapter 2, and I think you looked at my notes. Wow. I'm going to be saying a lot of the same things that she's going to, she just said, and I think it just helps us. And uh, so Samantha and I, my wife, and I had been dating about a month or so, and uh, we had our first Valentine's Day. I'm just going to give you guys some advice that are dating girls, don't do this. And so what to do not to do on your very first Valentine's Day with your uh, girlfriend? Uh, so we you know we're hanging out and I said, "Hey, I, I really wanted us to be alone so I could show you know do something you know special that I have done." And uh, she's like, "Oh, me too, right? And so we meet and we meet, met in the choir room at the Bible college we went to in northern Missouri, and we're there, we're talking, and I'm like, she's like well, uh, you go first. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, I wrote you a song. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was, this, it was this song, and I said, you had me. Okay, so I, and I won't go into any of the uh, details. It was probably the most awkward moment of her life. <laughs> and I really didn't even know this until like uh, a couple of weeks ago where she's telling the story at Life Group, and I'm thinking uh, to our friends and saying, you know, Andrew did this most awkward thing. I'm like, what? I thought that was the most romantic thing that I've ever done. I burnt the edges. I I wrote out the lyrics, handwritten, and I burnt the edges all the way around. And I framed it. And I gave it to her so she could read the words while I sang it. (laughs) Oh, man. It's not... Hey, we're married. Come on. Anyway, I haven't written her a song lately. But can you imagine if I'm singing that song... And I'm I'm like halfway through. I'm getting ready to go to the bridge, which is the most emotional part of the song. It's in the key of E, so it's very emotional. And I'm getting ready to go to the bridge. And I'm getting ready to punch it. And she's like, wait, 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 hold on. This song is horrible. You're off key. This is too high. The key's too high. Your voice is too bad. The lyrics are too awkward. We barely know each other. Shut it down. You know, and then proceeded to take the poem out of the frame and rip it up and burn it right there in front of me. You imagine what that would have done to me. I would have been gone. I mean, she's my dream girl for like two and a half years. I've been trying to date her. I finally do, and she rejects me. That did not happen. She she instead goes, "Thank you so much." And now I'm thinking about the tone, right? And. And then she gives me her gift, which is my name in uh, cookies. Uh, my aunt, like this Andrew, in a bunch of cookies. Like I said, the A, uh, it was a cookie that she baked uh, with my name, which is a lot less creepy than <laughs> writing a song. And so that's what I want to talk about, is about poems. Okay? And if I gave you five minutes to write a poem right now for your significant other, and I said, you have five minutes, uh, you would have to write something right now. Uh, actually, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you two minutes. Get out your phone. I want you to partner up with someone that is not your significant other, and I want you to come up with a poem. Ready, set. Rather, you can, you can go do this if you want. You don't have to. Okay. I'm going to give you two minutes on the count of one, two, three, go. 8.25 is when I'm shutting it down. Write me a poem. Oh, okay. Romantic poem. Look at Lauren back there writing for Haley. I know you are. He's like, I'm going to put this on the keys. All right, okay. All right. One minute is fast. You got one minute left. Two minutes of romance right here. If it's creepy, that probably means it's good.
2: I got
0: it. Okay, Chastity's ready. I got thirty seconds. Riley gonna send something to his girlfriend from him. Oh, okay. All right. All Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three. Two, one. Okay, Ryan, what does your say? Read it for us. Is this is for my man Zach right here. I'm, I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna sit right here. All right, here we go. I did a haiku. I, I think I did it right. Don't count the syllables because I could be wrong. All right, here we go. Z Bay, you're loving. Jesus rules you. Joy consumes five million. Your end. <laughs> oh, you should have dropped the mic, man. Okay, all right, that was great. I'm inspired. Okay, uh, one more. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. This really great. Blonde hair, beautiful. Glasses, also beautiful. I like you a lot. Oh, my. All right. So, wow, that got weird. It's like those guys live in a dorm together or something. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> imagine imagine if you spent five years on that thing. Imagine you spent five years on that thing. You finally got the guts up to give it to the person you wrote it. For let's let's take that weird thing out of the equation, and let's say the same thing happens to you. The person just says, "That's the worst thing I've ever heard." That really, really hurt. And so Ephesians two ten, uh, a lot of us know already know this verse. It says, "For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so that we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago." The word masterpiece is the Greek word poema, which means. Uh, A poem, that's where we get our word poem, right? We are God's poems. And so our passage in James tonight is going to challenge us to see people as poems and not as problems. What happens if those foster parents said, you know what, I don't think anybody wants us. I don't think anybody wants us as foster parents. I think we're going to give up. Maybe we're going to just retire and like go to Florida or something and uh, fish and, and get tans or whatever. But instead, they said, hey, we're going to make a difference in the life of a seven-year-old and see them get baptized. I mean, how how neat is that? And we all have been called problems before, and uh, sometimes jokingly, sometimes serious. But either verbally or non-verbally, you ever been talking to someone, and you know, and and they're not saying it, but you know that they're thinking it, and they're like, oh, man, this person, really? And you're thinking, oh. I know what you're saying. You know, it's like a nonverbal conversation that's going on uh, to where they would say that you're a problem and not a poem. Um, and this is why I asked Lynette to speak. And I think she has become an expert at seeing people as poems. And that, this comes with time, right? It comes with time. Making me feel loved, and then I'm making you feel loved. How is it even possible uh, when she's blessed me so much? But that's how it works. And so Riley's going to help me. She's going to read the passage for us tonight from James. Uh, chapter 2, verse, and she's going to read verse 1 for us, then we're just going to go through the passage together. So good. So James, chapter 2, verse 1.
2: My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus if you favor some people over others?
0: Okay. You cannot hold favoritism and your faith in Jesus at the same time. You can't hold uh, favoritism in one hand and your faith in Jesus in the other. And I think... It's so funny because we have all these things like about women's rights and like equality and stuff like that. Christianity is way ahead of all those things. This is written 2000 years ago, right? And he's stepping up and he's saying you do not hold favoritism and your faith in Jesus at the same time. And we're going to get even further into this passage going to be like, "Oh, my goodness. You know, Christianity is always a step ahead of culture because it's eternal, right? And so, uh <laughs> Anyway, we're just trying to catch up. We'll be doing that uh, until Jesus comes back, but that's just kind of how it works. And the word favoritism literally means to accept a face, accept a face. And so what that means is that you would look at faces of people that walk in and you would say, "Uh, that is a face that I want to get to know. That is a face I would want to avoid, right? And and we do that all the time. We determine who we're going to talk to based on someone's face and what they're wearing. And so if they don't look like someone we want to talk to, we walk the other way. Or, you know, we do something else because uh, they do not look like someone we want to talk to. And so there is not a face on the earth that Jesus looks at and says, I like this face better. Can you imagine that? To honestly be able to say that, that there are some faces like you, 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 would not, you would never think about the face like, for instance, of your grandma or something over like some random person on campus. Those faces are completely different to you. To Jesus, he loves them exactly the same, even if one of them is a complete idiot. We're all complete idiots at some level, right? And so here's your hashtag for tonight, faces matter. This is, what, this is really, really what I want you to get tonight. Faces matter. Every single face On planet Earth, matters. You rather you want to read verses two through seven.
2: For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, "You can stand over there, or else sit on the floor." Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who opposed you and dragged you into court, aren't they the ones who slandered Jesus Christ, the, whose noble name you bear?
0: Okay, so the picture is Sunday morning, right? It's not, it's not like sitting in the campus center in the atrium, uh, you know, wait until your next class starts. This is in church. And when someone in church, the poor man walks in, you know, the rich man comes, oh, here's, here's the best seat in the house. Uh, can I get you something to eat, you know? And then you got the poor man who comes in, you sit down by my feet. And that was the language that's used of Jesus. You know, I will make your enemies a footstool. They are enemies. Those that aren't very successful, that don't look like they would be much at all, hey, sit by my feet. But if you're rich, come on up. I got the best seat in the house for you. And it's like the disparity between uh, if we were to find a homeless person and bring them in here and we brought Andrew Luck in here, you would think of one way different than the other. I just know that you, unless you don't know what football is, and you'd be like, that guy's big or whatever. <laughs> but that's, that's how we are. We, and so um, we have such a hard time seeing past externals, and the church was way ahead. Can you imagine this? This is the first time in human history that a rich man and a poor man, a a, a slave master and a slave could walk into the same worship service and be equals for the first time in human history. 2,000 years ago. Right? You see how we're way behind as a society? They're the same in God's eyes. Okay? And we too often see people... uh, only is what they have to offer us. So if you don't have anything to offer me, I don't want to spend time with you. And that's how you feel about people, isn't it? I don't have anything to offer them, so they're not very interested. I'm not funny enough, so I've got I to gotta figure out how to be funnier. I've got to figure out how to get a better car or whatever. First Samuel 16, 7 is when the King, King David was chosen. You remember, he was watching the sheep, and his brothers are coming in all big and strong like Ryan Frazier, and then you know David is a shorter version of me out with the sheep, you know? Uh, and he says, is there anybody else? And God told Samuel straight up, in that moment, he said, I have forsaken these guys. I don't see what other people see. People see appearance. I see the heart. Doesn't that encourage you tonight? It gets better. Verse 8, Riley.
2: Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself.
0: As yourself. This is where it kills me, Lynette, that you're looking at my notes. Okay? As yourself has many of our heads spinning. And I think it's because we don't like ourselves. You know it's impossible for you to love someone if you don't like yourself? You see what that passage says? Love your neighbor. That's all we see. We say love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Don't run over your neighbor when they're crossing the street on Michigan. Love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. So in order to love someone else, you have to like yourself. Not only that, you have to love yourself. Many of you in this room do not love yourselves. And I'm not talking like egotistical, taking selfies of yourself all the time. I'm talking about genuinely thinking, like when you look in the mirror, you're not like, ugh. And I think probably 99%, unless you're completely vain, (laughs) we probably do that. We do not like ourselves. So if you're showing favoritism... Um, and not treating people like poems, and you're treating them like problems. God's love has not translated. You don't really think that God loves you. You're still trying to figure out John three sixteen. For God so loved Zach. For God so loved, you know Megan. There's like five Megans in the room. You know, <laughs> take your pick because God loves all of you, right? Um, and so I think a lot of us have also a hard time. We don't love ourselves and. We have a horrible heritage. I was talking to one of you before tonight, and you were saying that yourself, and you were saying that, those words. But you haven't—you weren't really cared for and loved the way that you need to be loved, and so you've never really been taught how to love. You're at a distinct disadvantage. I see this all the time. I, I didn't like my mom growing up, but at least she loved me. At least she cared for me. At least she took care of me. At least she made me learn Bible verses, right? She taught me that I need to really... View myself the way God views me, which is that he loves me. And so what I need you guys to do, tonight, I know this is hard to think about. I don't know if we're going counseling, psychology, whatever. But you need to figure out this fact that God loves you. So you need to love you so that you can love somebody else. Otherwise, you're going to keep falling and making mistakes. And the word for love here is a is agapao, which uh, is loved-based on sincere appreciation and high regard to take pleasure in. Do you take ple- Do you really appreciate yourself? Uh, uh, was it from uh, you know that one TV show? Treat yourself. You know. Do you really take care of yourself? Do you love yourself? Uh, do you? It, it, here's the big question: If you're not loving others, then you really don't have a very good view of yourself. So you got to let God do that work in you first. Take pleasure. Now oh, let's read 9 through 12.
2: But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the people who keeps all of the laws except one is guilt, as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free.
0: You know, first of all, I think we we don't really hate sin. We just hate getting caught, right? We don't hate speeding. We hate getting pulled over, right? Uh, And that goes through with every single sin. We don't hate looking at pornography. We hate getting caught looking at pornography. We don't hate messing around with our girlfriend or boyfriend. We hate getting caught doing it, right? And that's just how we are. We hate getting caught. So we don't hate the sin. We hate getting caught. And if we're honest, most of us don't see our favoritism as a sin. You don't see that you, uh, you know, completely disregard some people and favor other people over them. And now one of the things that favoritism does not mean does not mean that you can't have like, really close friends. Now think about Jesus, for instance. He was the best at not showing favoritism. Remember the Syrophoenician woman? And she was like, even dogs eat crumbs from the master's table. He reached out to her, right? And he healed her. And so Jesus had his inner three, even out of the 12. When he had time for the transfiguration, did he take all 12? No, he took three. Will you have 20 really close friends? No. Do I have more than one close, really cr- close friend like CJ? No. And I think that's just because God wants you To have really close friends. And if you're having really close. Intimate Christian friends. It's going to make you more inclusive. Than exclusive. And if you are being very exclusive. With your close friends. You're not Christ like. Jesus was the most inclusive person. On the earth. Sinners wanted to be around him. You know. Everybody wanted to be with him. Because he loved and took time for people. So. I don't know what that means, but in his relationship with them, he didn't make it exclusive. It made him prepped to be more inclusive. And sin is preventing intimacy with God and with others. So in the passage, she she just read it. I want you to act like someone who is free. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. If you've grown up in church and all you're hearing is rules and you got to do this, and you can't do that, you're missing it. That's like Islam, or that is, that's some other works-based you know, religion to where you have to do this so that you can gain favor with God. <laughs> See, we have been set free, and that means that God can. Verse 13, this is the power-packed verse here.
2: There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you.
0: Okay. So the word for mercy is alios, which means, it's just mercy, but it literally means compassion. Um, it means to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need. Man, doesn't that sound like what Lynette was talking about? Um, but in Ephesians 2, 4, it says that God is rich in mercy. And so let's say that you're the great white throne judgment. And, you know, all of humanity, you know, about probably a third of the people who have lived in the history of the world are alive today. But let's just, just think about, like, 30 billion people that are th- great. Let's say Jesus comes back tonight. No more babies being born. No more, nobody else dying, okay? And he's coming back tonight. You're face-to-face with Jesus, and it's your time in the great, great white throne judgment. How are you going to make it to enjoy the new creation that God has in store for his people? Are you going to pull out your church attendance record? you know, to pull out your Bible and how many highlights you got. Here it says, Jesus is actually going to say, actually, you know, how much mercy did you show other people? How much compassion did you show for the person that's living down your hall that you don't like? Are we talking tonight, preaching tonight? And I think we just have to be alias only, mercy only. How are you going to change the world? All of us in here tonight, if you're a college student, that's why you're in college. You want to change the world. You don't want to be rich. Some of you want to be rich. Some of you want to do both. I want to change the world and be rich. But I think, I think that if you're going to change the world, it's going to start and end with compassion. If you don't have compassion, don't have anything. So I want to show you a little video tonight. Uh, and This is my friend Jane. And uh, this is from this past Wednesday. And I'll tell you more about it after. All right, here we go. Hey, I'm here with my friend Jane, and we're about to sing. Jane, what do you think about singing? I think it's great. Me too. Look at all of our friends. We're getting ready to sing. What song are we going to sing, Jane?
1: Happy Day and Like a Lion and a Sheep.
0: Oh, I think that's a great idea. Let's do it. Do you have a tambourine, Jane? Yes. Awesome. All right. Okay, so uh, we, I volunteer on our church, started an adults with disabilities ministry on Wednesday nights. And that lady's in her 60s, okay? And every single Wednesday, she wants to sit right up next to me. And the very first thing I did with adults with disabilities, I went to this camp uh, in Anderson, and uh, I'm leading the worship. We got the full band, there's like 100 people in the room. 60 of them are adults with disabilities. And you want to talk about a wild party? That's a wild party. And one of them had downs, and he's like, He's like right in front of me the whole time, like five inches from my face, singing as loud as he can and going. And you know what they did for me five or six years ago? They allowed me to stop seeing people as problems and start seeing people as poems, right? Um, if you can be around those, those sweet people, we call them our friends, and be upset about and complain about your life, you need to go back. You can go back into the passage. So real quick, and then we'll be done. Five keys to seeing people as poems. The first is to exchange favoritism for hashtag faces matter, right? Um, And so this, this is past where we're able to go, where we see faces the way that God sees faces. Uh, I could tell you this really great story one of our uh, APD Anderson police uh, officer for 25 years he was just called to a house this past week 88 year old man with a with a weapon and he's like hopped up on pain medication he's stage 4 cancer and family's freaking out and he's like and he they, he gets in the room and the guy's got his head down and the firearm right there in his lap he's sitting there <laughs> And he walks in and he's like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do with this guy, 88 years old, hadn't slept, you know. And he goes up to him and he says, hey, my name's Rod, you know, what's your, what's your name? And he's like, oh, here's my name. And he's like, he's like, um, the guy, 88-year-old, is like, how much do I have to pay you to kill me right now? And Rod's like, he's one of our elders, he is the man. He was like, I'm not going to kill you. What if I give you a $1,000 to kill me? guy's like, and Rod's like, I'm not killing you, man. I want to tell you about Jesus. And he, like, preaches the gospel right there in that room, in the guy's bedroom with the firearm on his lap. And he starts telling him about Jesus. He's like, do you know Jesus? Are you a Christian? And the guy just completely changed. He says, my Bible's over there on my bed. I've been married to my wife for 70 years. We got married when we were 18. And he, like, goes into this whole story, Lo and behold, uh, they get the gun from him and they remove him from the situation. They take him away. And Rod went to see the Bible, see if he was like telling the truth. And it says presented to him and his wife, literally, uh, you know, on their wedding day when they were eighteen. He wasn't telling a lie. Faces matter. Second, reach out on Sunday mornings. When you go to church, uh, don't sit there and say, "I wish someone would come talk to me." Go talk to them. And go talk to someone that doesn't look like you. Someone that's not the same age as you. Do yourself a favor. Meet somebody. Don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. First, uh, leaders are first step takers. Third thing, stop blaming sour grapes. And there's this uh, passage in Ezekiel that says, our, our fathers ate sour grapes and our teeth are set on edge. And so what they're saying is, I'm the way that I am because of my dad. And you are, kind of. But that doesn't mean that you have to always be like that. You don't have to be a complete idiot because your dad is an idiot. You can pull yourself out. You can be who God created you to be. Fourth thing is live free. Don't allow uh, how you treat others to enslave you. Be inclusive in the way that you live. The fifth thing, show mercy. Look for ways to serve others uh, and save them from punishment. How can you show compassion? Don't just attend church, serve. Corey Lotz got baptized yesterday. How about that? Yeah, so did Annie. Annie Covington got baptized. Our first, yeah, so excited for you. Uh, and he and I have been talking about that for a while. He was actually volunteering, like helping people get baptized. And he was like, wait, I need to get baptized. And he just did it. He's like, today is my day. He hadn't even planned on it. Proud of you. Now, don't just attend church, serve. And then when God asks you to do something, be obedient. Be obedient. Now, last story, and I'm done. I was playing uh, toy dinosaurs with my son. He's right here. Do you have the picture? That's Graham. I took that of him today. I said, hold this dinosaur. I've got to show this. And he was like, ah. And so, are we twins? Anyway, so uh, he, someone at church like, he looks just like you except for cute. I'm like, what's that mean? That was a nursery worker. Uh, we're playing dinosaurs, and we're playing. I'm laying on the floor, like, ha 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 ha. The Triceratops is attacking the Stegosaurus. Ar, ar. You know, we're like pounding the dinosaurs. And little did I know I'm teaching him to be a killer. <laughs> he's two years old, and I'm laying on the floor, defenseless. I don't think that he's going to do this. He takes the Triceratops, which he's wielding right now, and just goes boom and hits me right in the nose, and then drags it across my forehead. And then a hard, plastic, pointy device. My forehead is still tender right here um, from him. To, I was so mad. I was like, oh, ah! And he's like two years old. What am I going to do? Like, punch him, right? <laughs> and so um, when someone hits you in the face with a plastic dinosaur with sharp edges, it is really hard, even if it's your son, to see them as a poem. You see them as a problem. And we went through this in our live group last week. And I want to tell you, everybody in our group had some kind of story to share. One of our girls was like, you know, it's fine seeing people as poems until they keep coming into my work with the same issue. And you can tell that they're not even really wanting to change. And I'm wanting to, she didn't say this, but I was going to fill in the blank. I want to slap them. And it's it's easy to call someone a poem and to really work with them and love them and care for them and want to help them if they really want to pull that out, pull out of the situation that they're in, but if they're continuing to hit you with a dinosaur or, or whatever it is, maybe they're, maybe they're constantly pulling you down. Maybe it's someone, someone who's not really your friend, and they think that you're friends, so they have sarcastic, like, biting comments all the time that's great on your nerves over and over and over again. It's really hard to see them as a poem. So I was reading in a place in Exodus chapter 28 where it talks about the priest's garments... I could go on and on about this. One of the things that was very significant when I was reading this is that each priest, part of their garb and what they would wear is a gold plate that they would put on their, uh, like on their turban, on their forehead. Right, that's really weird. Anyway, inscribed on the plate was Holy to the Lord. When you look in the mirror in the mornings and at night, do you see a plate on your forehead that says Holy to the Lord? Set apart that Jesus died on the cross for you? Or do you see a problem? If you see a problem, stop, right? See, I want you tonight, even before you go to bed, maybe it's like 3 a.m. before you go to sleep and maybe you're blurry eyed by that point. I want you to see holy to the Lord. And when you see other people, I don't want you to see them as a problem. I want you to see them as a poem. That doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everyone. Jesus wasn't best friends with everybody. But he treated everybody with respect. He loved people into the kingdom of God. He didn't push people away. He went to them. He didn't exclude himself from them. And that's how we're going to change the world. That's how Jesus changed the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. We'll, uh, actually, Haley, you want to come forward and pray for us as we close out? Let's. Uh, and if we can stick around for a second. Anybody want to? We have ne- we haven't had a group picture since like first semester last year. Can we have a group picture tonight? Can we do that, Corey's? We're gonna try and make it happen. I'm not how sure it's possible in this room, but we're gonna figure it out. So Haley, you wanna pray for us and we'll get a picture if that's okay.
2: All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for allowing us to come together tonight when we're in the midst of stress and midterms and everything like that, just to see through all the. the the muck and the trash and everything, and just see, see what really matters. Lord, help us go out from tonight and see people as poems instead of problems, and also see ourselves as poems instead of problems, and that we are holy to you, and that we matter, and that we can show love to everyone that we come across. Lord, just lay this message in our hearts tonight, all the speakers that we've had, just Help this message show through to everything, all that we do the rest of the week and the rest of the year and just the rest of our lives. It's in your name I pray. Amen.